You know, there used to be a a song, Call Me Al. You can call me Al. I think it was from the late 80s or early 90s. It was kind of a silly song, kind of a funny, upbeat. But the gist of the song was the idea that there are a whole lot of people that, or you can call me anything you want to. You can call me this, or you can call me that. Or you, their name didn't matter. It didn't matter to them what you called them, Mr. Or, or Sir or Dude or whatever. Just call them whatever you want to. Just don't call me late for dinner. That's always been the old joke. Call me whatever you want to. Just don't call me late for dinner. And what I find, though, is I think Dale Carnegie was right when he said the sweetest word in anyone's language is their own name. The sweetest word in anyone's language is their own name. So I make it a habit when I go into a restaurant, for an example, or a place of business, if they have a name tag on that actually has their name on it, and I can pronounce it, I will. And if I can't, I will ask them, say your name for me. I can read it, but I, I, I can't. I'll take a stab at it if you'd like, but I'd rather hear you say it so I know I can say it right. Leaders love language because language helps us define things. And people who manipulate language for the purpose of confusion, well, they have another agenda and leadership isn't it. That's what I want to talk about today on Leading Leaders. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast, and I do have a name, and I use pretty much the whole thing in my title. I am Jay Lauren Norris. That's me. Now, there may be other people with the name James Norris. In fact, I know absolutely there is. We used to live next door to each other in an apartment in East Texas. And when he moved out, I got a lot of his bills from not only his utility company, but also from the apartment complex. In fact, for almost 10 years, it was on my credit report that he moved out without paying his last month's rent. And I went round and round and round. And they're like, well, but you lived at that address. Yeah, but there are 2,700 apartments at that address. But your name is James Norris. Yeah, but there was another James Norris who literally lived next door to me. And we went round and round and round and round before it finally went away. Well, does it matter, really? I mean, it's just a minor detail, right? We're, I mean, we're only talking about your credit report, nothing significant. I mean, it doesn't like affect your ability to buy a house or a car or anything. It's not that big a deal. It's just whoever James Norris is, right? No, it's not like that. You know, there are a lot of people with the name Karen in this world. And there are a lot of people who get called Karen because of their behavior. And the two are not related. Trust me, my wife is Karen because that was her birth name, not because that's her attitude. You follow me? Maybe that's too complicated for you. But there's only one Karen that I'm allowed to kiss and hug on and make out with in a dark corner. Just one Karen. Of all the Karens in the world, only one of them do I have permission to mug on. Just one. Not every Karen. Not even another Karen named Karen Norris. No, just there's just one. And that definitiveness of language that says... This is what that is. There's a reason that people mess with that. I have a great book. I, I looked for it, honestly, on the shelf before we got started. It's called Aspire by Kevin Hall. And it's a book about words, the etymology, etymology or entomology. I always get that one mixed up, of words. What are their origin? Where did they come from? Yes, one of those is about the study of bugs. One of those is about the study of words. I'll let you look it up. Entomology or etymology. Have fun with that one. 
the words and their meaning, their origin, where did they come from? What were they derived from? What were the root words? What are the prefixes and suffixes? There's a great word, book and audio series called Word Power, where it actually talks about how you construct your sentences and where you choose your words from. And you will know an educated person by the use of their vocabulary. You'll also know a pedantic person by the use of their vocabulary. And an educated person and a pedantic person are not always the same, although sometimes they are. Again, you can look that one up. It will be worth the time, and you'll find it quite comical that the word defines itself. Pedantic, that is. I want you to understand, though, that when people begin to change the meaning of words, it's almost always because they're up to something that if they knew what you understood, or if they knew that you understood what they were up to, you would be unhappy with them. It's really easy to change the meaning of words and the sleight of hand, if you will, almost like the magician's trick. Don't look over here because I'm doing it over here. Please don't pay any attention to the blue elephant jumping on top of the ping pong ball. He's doing nothing but the, but jumping on a ping pong ball. He's just a blue elephant jumping on a ping There's nothing to see over there. Meanwhile, over here, I'm changing your world. I, I was listening to a podcast this morning, early this morning, because a skunk got into our backyard and our dogs went nuts. Uh, so about 4.30 this morning, I was up listening to a podcast. And in this podcast, they were talking about how the WHO has claimed powers at a global governance level that would require an international treaty, meaning in order for this power to exist, in order for them to execute on this power, to say, okay, well, I'm the one now, I'm the one that decides that everybody's car gets washed on Monday. And there will be fines and fees and penalties if I see your car on Tuesday and it's dirty. Everybody's car gets washed on Monday. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you have the money to pay for it or not. And on Wednesday, if your car is still dirty, I will take it from you. And you will no longer have a car because I decree that all cars get washed on Monday. It's that kind of silly proclamation by the WHO. Things like if you feel warm to the touch and your neck is stiff, it's not because you were sleeping on an airplane. It's because you're ill and now we can quarantine you. And any officer of any law enforcement anywhere on the globe can lock you up in quarantine until they feel such time that you're safe for the population. What? Wash your car on Mondays. Only on Mondays, every Monday. Don't miss it because I said so. Yeah, it's that kind of implication of law and application of law. See, here's the irony. If it's a treaty and America has agreed to it, it requires congressional approval. The Congress actually has to vote on it. And who is the Congress? Well, that's the people that we, the represented republic, select to represent us to say, hold up, we don't agree to wash our car every Monday. That's not even a good use of natural resources. Besides, not everybody has a car and not everybody's available on Monday. And what if we don't wash our cars on Monday? Then what? And so all of that conversation simply never took place. Why? Well, because these regulations were put in place under the title regulations that are international health regulations. Don't believe me? Look them up. Just look up international health regulations. And then what is it that the WHO, the WHO, is going to be doing in May in Switzerland? And, and just ask yourself, is it Switzerland? Wherever they're meeting in May of this year, May of 22, I think it's the 27th and the 28th. Look it up. Look it up. Do your homework. But ask about, in your research, that 
international health regulation that says that if a person is ill, they can be quarantined. And then what is the definition of ill is? And why are these people manipulating words saying that this is a regulation or an agreement or a treaty and nobody's voted on it? It can't be a treaty if nobody's voted on it. We have to ratify it to make it a treaty. But apparently somebody in higher powers over the last several decades have decided that we don't have to call it a treaty. We'll call it an agreement. And under an agreement, it'll be binding even after I'm no longer in office. Even if I get voted out, this agreement that I've made is a binding agreement. That's like the verbal agreement versus the written contract, right? Which one's enforceable and by who and, and what if not? And then the shell game begins of, well, who's responsible for deciding that it's a global pandemic? Who's responsible for deciding that there's a quarantine? Who's responsible for deciding if we need an international passport to travel because we have or have not had the jab? Who's responsible for that? Well, the answer is who? WHO. Who is? Well, who is? Do you see what I'm saying? See, leaders love language because leaders know that when you set clear expectations, people can actually live up to them. Leaders love language because we know that when you communicate clearly and you communicate well, people can actually take action on the ideas that you've shared. Your vision becomes demonstrable and actionable. If you're not clear on those things in your own head, then articulating them in words will be a little complicated. But if you're clear on them in your head and you can put those into words that people recognize and understand a common meaning of a, a meaning perhaps that we've agreed upon rather than one that you've simply made up. I mean, you remember back to uh, Little Mermaid? In Little Mermaid, when, when the uh, bird was explaining to her that cadiddlehopper uh, that she found on the beach, and he handed it to the Little Mermaid, and she said, well, what do I do with it? And she, he said, oh, it's... Uh, they use it to fix their hair, the humans do, this cadiddlehopper, and he sticks the fork in his feathers on his head and he pulls and it poof on the top of his head. So then he hands the fork to the little mermaid with her long red flowing hair and she brushes her hair with a fork. Well, I guess if all you have is a fork, it'll work, but that's generally not what we use them for and it would be really hard to pick up your catfish with, well, I guess you could. Maybe we should just trade places with forks and hairbrushes because English peas would be a whole lot easier to manage with a hairbrush than with a fork. Carrots, yep, you can do that with a hairbrush. Mashed potatoes, absolutely easier to eat with a hairbrush. Spaghetti, think of that. Forget the fork, leave the fork out. We don't need hoppers anymore. We're just going to use hairbrushes to eat spaghetti because we can pick up like five times as much spaghetti at the same time. I mean, that just makes sense, right? Why would we not do that? Because that's not what it's made for. And unless you've got a brand new hairbrush, it's probably got nasty stuff in it you don't want to put in your mouth. But see, the, the language, the idea, the, the way that we express ourselves, the common ground that we find when we communicate clearly and articulately, it's important to leadership. And in the same way that a little lizard loves to lay in the sun because... They're cold-natured and they want to be in the warm. Leaders love language because it's warming, because it's at home, because that's where we're supposed to be. And leaders love language because it's the only way to express ideas that are as important as a global pandemic. 
And who has the right to tell you what to do with your body? <gasps> has a right to tell you what to do with your body. Hmm. What if you confuse the language about that? When is it your body? Whose body is it? Is it a... Is it... Who... See, the language is so confusing about bodies and, and ownership of bodies and possession of bodies and then who's in a body and whose body is it anyway? Who ate H W H O? Who? Is it their body? Wait, who is a body? Who is a governing body that wants to govern the world through, yeah, who? Who? Language is a fun thing. Language is also a dangerous thing. But language is something loved by leaders who take the time to get to know it, who understand how to communicate, even when everybody else is playing with the meaning of words, mixing up the meaning of words intentionally, leading others to believe because they haven't done their homework. They're just kind of hypnotized into believing. If, if I say it's a right, it's a right. And if I say it's a right, then it must be constitutionally protected because everything that I declare is a right is constitutionally no, it doesn't work like that. If I say it's a law or a policy or a regulation, then by golly, I get to enforce it even if I don't have any law enforcement ability or policy enforcement ability or regulation enforcement. How do you enforce a regulation? Who does that? Are there like regulation police? I don't know. But you see how confusing it gets when we play with the meaning of words and assign to them or ascribe to them something that doesn't really belong there? Leaders love language because clear language expresses clear ideas, and clear ideas can be debated. Manipulated language, that has a whole other purpose. If you're a leader, be clear in your language. Know what the meaning of the words are that you're using. Make sure that you have common ground with the people that you're sharing those words with, and that they agree that those words mean the same thing. I'll close with this. I heard... Dr. Jordan Peterson asked one of those trap questions the other day. Do you believe in God? And he said, well, really, you're asking three questions at once, and all three of them are very intense debates. What is you? What is believe? And who is God? Or what is God? And until we can answer those three questions, that we can agree on the definition of believe. Is believe a construct that you've created? Is believe an ability to ascribe to myself the same belief system that you have? Or is it simply to accept that something is true? And if I'm accepting it's true, am I, am I accepting that you is true? Or that God is true? Or that God is divine and unchangeable? What exactly are you asking me when you ask me, do you believe in God? I think that's a profound way to try to answer that question because there are a lot of people who assume when you answer that question that they know everything there is to know about you based on your answer to a question that has an ambiguous meaning to begin with. Leaders love language. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith family, and freedom.